Hi, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, where twice a week we'll bring you conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchek, and I'll be your guide. Let's go. GB, I got to ask you, though, you talked about standards on what great looks like at Mm. the BDR level, SDR level. And so this is what's top of mind for me. Like, I am curious, what's the baseline, dare I say, activity? I'm I'm curious about your take on the activity. I'm curious about your take on the conversions and what great looks like in that context. Yeah. Okay. So and also, obviously, the results. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to answer your question very honestly and authentically to who I am as a person, professional, leader, all of that. So number one, 100% is the minimum. Okay, that's part one of it. 100% performance is the absolute minimum, right? That for for acceptable, it's acceptable thing. And I also think about things in terms of teams, right? So when I think about a BDR team, I think about like me doing a very great job is at least 80% of my team is hitting their number, right? Like I, I want, that's what I aspire to at all times. Now, in terms of an individual level, I think like 125%, it's okay. Like that's where you can hang your head up and go, I did a good job. Like 125% is like, I did a good job. I did a good job. There's so much months. variation about what, how many meetings equals 100%. It's your yeah. quota. It's your quota. Because like, you got to figure some of this stuff is like you have to figure out what's right for your business first, like from a leader standpoint, because like I've seen organizations go, hey, we're just only going to generate meetings. And at the end of the day, like BDRs need to contribute quality pipeline that moves down the funnel. We're not responsible for revenue. So I've seen some people go, oh, like I'm going to pay my BDRs out on revenue. But I'm like, all right, there's 45 days and a bajillion activities that your BDRs aren't responsible for. Right. right. How the hell? I'd be pissed. But I whatever. Too. Right. So. So like, all right, hey, great is you're looking the quality pipeline could mean if you have like stage one is you have your discovery call and then stage two is you're moving into a demo or presentation. I'd say like quality in this way is you're moving into stage two opportunities. Like you want to see stuff move over into the next stage of the pipeline after that first discovery call, even if you don't comp your BDRs on that. Right. So like that to me is an indication of quality. And then past organizations that have been out, like where I was like, hey, listen, I feel like when I come into the room, I can come in is we're contributing to the pipeline, depending on our models, right? It's like we've got 60% coverage on pipeline. That to me is great. Phenomenal. Okay. So let's even, let's take it back a step further. So it's the front end. How many leads do we need to identify? Yeah. In order to put together a strong call, like a power hour block, if assuming we've got, I would think a hundred, right? Assuming we've yeah. got the so auto annoyed. dialers. Yeah. No, nope. this be really is really annoying. Yeah, Here's do it, thing. do like, it. Okay, so I think the problem with focusing on activity as the first part is you inadvertently incentivize vanity dials or low quality activities. You have to have, in the same way that we want to have some kind of scoring matrix, let's say for MQL, you want to have something similar for BDRs too. So that's, hey, like how many calls are you making on tier A accounts? Right? Okay. So I'm with you. Let's assume that everything, all of these numbers are qualified and I'm with you on the outcomes. Like you heard the 80-20, like I still am trying to coach people on the 
baseline activity? Yeah. So here's what I've seen work well. Okay. Cause again, I don't, I'm not going to give you a broad sweeping answer because it doesn't hold across the board. It just doesn't. Yeah. What I do with my reps is I create so much in the same way that you create a model for a team or for an entire department of let's waterfall approach this and reverse engineering how it becomes successful. First thing that I do, I'm like, all right, how many meetings have you set? How many opportunities have you generated? And how many future meetings do you have set to run in this commissionable cycle that we're in? And from that, I can understand what's your attainment and where are you pacing to hit for the end of this quarter? All right. So once I have that, cool. The next thing I go is now, how many weeks are left in the quarter, right, from this commissionable event? And then what's your gap? Now, how many meetings do you need to set every single week in order to get to 100% of your goal, at least? And that'll let us know you need to book. So I'd actually go, hey, what do you need to book in terms of meetings, right? Like I actually use that as my number one. I use meetings and I use connects, honestly, as the, as the main two drivers. Mm. And then I'll use activities as like a third piece to figure out how do you get those connects or what's in the way of those connects. You know what? That's exactly where I was going wrong. I was because I've always done that too. And I was still trying to get at the activity numbers just to have them. But I think that's you brilliant. A, yeah. You want to provide a baseline. So my Airtable now, I set KPIs when I came in. I, I observed in November. I set KPIs in December. Nobody hit those numbers. Everybody had the best performance that they had ever, right? New come in the next quarter. Things change. We actually did less activity and we got way higher performance. So I'm like, it's not to say that we can't have the activity. I'm like, what is actually the activity that's driving the performance? I need Perfect. to figure that out. Perfect. And now it's become my KPI. So like when Perfect. I think of performance, I think, all right, yeah, so we're comped on stage one opportunities. So that means that the meeting has run with the AE and the AE has said, hey, I'm going to accept this into my pipeline, right? I'm going to be held accountable for working this opportunity. So we're held to that stage one opportunity. Gotcha. That so, makes perfect sense. So I just look at all the things that are indicators of that, right? So, okay, how many meetings, like how many stage zeros are you creating? Essentially, like how many meetings are you creating? How many of those do you think should be considered an opportunity, right? And then how many conversations are you having before that? Because I can have somebody who's making 100, 200 calls in a day. And I'm like, the problem that I have with, oh, I would make 300 calls in a day. I'll go, how many conversations did you have? Like, how many conversations can you have in a day if you're making 300 calls? I don't care about the calls. I care about the conversations. Right, right, right. Is that how, so this was going to be my next question. How are you defining connects? So I define a connect. So some people make it time-based. Oh, whatever. I just look at, did we talk? So the uh, so we make a call to a number. Did we talk to that person, person or yeah, yeah, yeah. did we talk to somebody who's at that company even if it's not the person that we intended to talk to gotcha right so there's phone connects there's email connects social i don't have a way of tracking that automatically i don't include that into my reporting so i'm like i just don't yeah. have i do trackers and so everywhere physically counting yeah, like I, when somebody's first starting yeah i've like I know people will do that. And I'm just like, listen, I would never ask my team to do something that I wouldn't do. Too, and yeah, I no, wasn't that shit. I'm not that person. It's too much. Yeah, no. It's too much. I'm like, no, let me just run. Damn. So I can look at LinkedIn task completion on that side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I look at email replies, call connects, um, 
And outside of that, I'm like, if I can't track it like automatically, and at this point in time, I'm not going to make my rep, unless we just had ample time and everybody was pacing at 150% fine, but we're not there yet. There are so many more channels that are available now that people are better suited for. Also, the the technology that exists for salespeople. When I was an SDR, I was using InsideSales.com. I was using like this weird, bulky ass power dialer, right? Where that I couldn't even build my list and it didn't make any sense. And I didn't have an email tracker. Like I used HubSpot Sales Pro or whatever else. They like don't even have that anymore. I think about how much technology has advanced for salespeople. And I think about each person has a strength Each person has something that they are really amazing at. And if you try to treat everyone the same and you wonder why only 10 to 20% of your team is actually hitting their number, you need to look at yourself in the fucking mirror, okay? You need to figure out, hey, like there are so many things that are available. How do you make sure that, all right, if someone's really good at something, have them hyper-focused on it. Don't try and make them into something that they're not. So I've got one guy on my team and he's like, hey, GB, everybody else on the team is absolutely crushing me in calls and emails sent and prospects worked. And I go, but what's going on with you and your performance though? He's like, well, I've been the most consistent top performer on the team. I'm like, so why would you want to change? He goes, well, I just thought that someone, no, 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 no. Write down why and what works for you. And that becomes your playbook. And, and if you want to tweak little things, let's talk about it. But I don't want you to change anything whatsoever. Your low volume, high conversion, be that. So, but if I've got other people, I'm like, all right, on calls, they're really good at getting engagement and getting information, but really where they do their best work in terms of conversions is on video. So they're like, hey, listen, I want to go and talk to all the folks who would be like the hands-on keyboards users. And then I can create a really compelling story and I can send the decision maker a video and I convert nine times out of 10. Great, wonderful. Let's make let's make your processes as efficient as possible. And then I got some people who are like, "Listen, you are just workhorses, and you are going to hit your number by just like brute force. So let's just make sure you're having fun while you're hitting your head against a wall." No, it's like, like you know, if that's what's going to get you to 150 percent, then we have to just make sure. I think especially as leaders that we're aware of all the different avenues that exist. Yes, there's going to be some people who are great at phone, but I'm going to tell you, like, I've got people on my team who only use the phone and they're my, they're the lowest performers on my team. So I'm like, you need to take, you have to use multiple channels. You can't only be a one trick pony. And I think that's, that's the shift that we have to make is recognizing that people, we now have the ability to make so many more people successful. And if we treat everyone like we treated them 20, 30 years ago, we're becoming irrelevant. And it's that that over-reliance on, on not just a process, but this frigid process that has to be executed this exact way and shove it down everybody's throats, including the buyers. Wow, that was so fucking powerful. And I have never once in my entire career in tech heard anybody talk about creating that much space for the individual on their team to thrive. And so on the off chance you haven't heard it yet today or this week or this month, you fucking rock. That was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. You're doing the Lord's work, friend. <laughs> Jimmy, what's the most uncomfortable conversation that you're having right now? Oh, the most? It's not work-related, but it has an impact on work. Then let's talk about it. I think the 
thing that's been the most uncomfortable for me is and I have this conversation with different folks like for me I feel like I know exactly what I need to do when I go to work I was also raised by a bunch of entrepreneurs like I grew up in an office okay literally and but there's relationships like outside of work like whether it's friendships or romantic or whatever things happen and at work like if I'm at work I'd be like you're fucking tripping okay so then when it comes to a friend or whatever, they struggle. There's like a whole childhood trauma, whatever, to it as well. But there's certain times where I'm just like, oh, why don't you like me? <laughs> and then I and I come to work and I'm feeling somber. And I'm also like, I've, I've got a big team right now covering for two teams. And I'm just like, wow, like I really need to pour into myself right now in order to be able to come to work and do what I want to do and how I want to show up for my people. So I think the most uncomfortable conversations that I'm having, it's more, wow, like I'm feeling real lowly right now. And I think sometimes people are like, oh, GB, look at you. Like you're this, you're that. And I'm like, I'm just a regular ass human being with a lot of freaking feelings. So I think the most uncomfortable is like when people are like at work is like, hey, like, are you okay? Are you this? And like, I'm just okay being not okay right now. Give me a couple of weeks, I'll get there. But I think it's like set when I'm going through some stuff outside of work and I know it's going to show up for work and I'm okay with not covering anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, I'm okay with me not being okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to be okay with me not being okay too. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. If I'm not messing people up, that's fine. But like, I'm not going to be smiling sun- sunshine. And I don't think a lot of people want that either. Like they want to know, oh, GB's having, GB has a tough time. She has tough times too. Yeah. But give me a week, I'll be back. Wow. Okay. I've actually asked people, so I can relate to that on so many fucking levels. I don't like the question, are you okay, listeners? I like, is everything okay? If you must ask, because it makes it less about the individual, more about the circumstances or the context. It's less, it feels less invasive. And I don't know, but I don't know if GB agrees with that, but that's that's just something I would. Sometimes I'll be like, if I see that somebody's like real, I was having a conversation with one of my folks the other day and I could see the tears in their eyes, right? They just hadn't come out and she was talking and I go down and I was like, hey, are you okay? So it was just this moment of, I just want you to know that I see you right now. Yeah. And then she's go, and I was like, know what's really going on right and the tears start coming it's a for me there's times where i just want to process my emotions before i say anything and i think when and i think it, i know i know it comes from a good place more often than not i wanted to check in but my, there's just some times where i'm like you know what i just want to come into work and i know what i need to do because when i leave this place i'm a little bit lost so i kind of just like want to have this moment where work can just be a little bit of a sanctuary for me and I'll do my personal work when I get out of here. I love what you said too, Vanna, and I need for you to be okay with that as well. Yeah, um, I think like, that's hey, amazing. Like, I'm, I'm okay. That's honestly the hardest part. That's the hardest conversation. If I were to just wrap it up into a bubble, I think when people are like, oh, I just want to fix stuff. Oh, I just want you to be okay with this. I'm like, I'm not. I'll figure a way to get through that. If I'd like your help, I will ask you. I'm struggling and I you can I think you can help me, but don't tell me how to feel about something. I gotta get one of those like little clappy hands like I'm very in tune with my feelings. And like yeah. I feel my feels. I'll get over it, but give I love me, it. Give me the space to be a fully functioning human being. I love it. I love this space. 
that you create or spaces plural. And I'm, I know we don't have time to talk about women in sales, but I just want you to know, I think it's awesome. I respect you tremendously. And I appreciate as someone that never wanted to be a sales manager and knew from day one, like I'm never going to do. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being a beacon of light and leading by example. I think it's fucking awesome. GB, how can people find you? LinkedIn. How are you? Gabrielle. GB Blockwell. And I would highly encourage everybody to go check out the Sastress over on TikTok. Listen, you're going to be like, this is wild. And I'm going to go, yup. Can I get some accents in here with the Victorian? Sastress. Oh, hello. And we say goodbye to us. Say goodbye to us in the accent. All right. Goodbye, darlings. May your life be as fabulous as mine. All right, all. That wraps another installment of Revenue Real Hotline. Today's episode was produced by the fabulous Nian Fiedler. Naturally, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their brilliance and stories with us. And thank you too, listener. I know you've got a ton of options and I appreciate you choosing us. For anyone who wants to support the show, do follow us wherever you listen and be sure to join us next time for more conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchik and that's a wrap.